host, Jenny Morrow, and it feels like it's been too long since I've done an episode. I'm actually not sure of the exact date when I last released an episode, but I feel like it's been maybe at least a couple of months, maybe more. So for those who have been loyal listeners, I'm, I really am sorry that it's been so long, and I'm also really happy to be back. I'm really excited to be, excited to be doing the episode today. So sometimes things get a little crazy, which they did for a couple of months there, and it's nice to feel really excited to be back. So I've got an interesting letter today, and I haven't done a lot of work sitting with it, really deciding what I was going to say, because so many thoughts came up when I first read this letter that I just wanted to be open to seeing what popped up when I read it out loud And when I read it here on the show, knowing I'm sharing my thoughts and experiences with listeners, I really just wanted to be open to seeing what was going to come up for me. And so we'll see how it goes here. And sometimes letter writers do not include an alias name. And so to keep it anonymous, I often give people an alias just based on their letter. And today, really, I mean, there were, again, like I said, there were a few things coming through. And so today I'm going to call letter writer man with a question. That's what I'm going to refer to him as, as I'm reading through the letter today and sharing some different ideas. So I'm going to go ahead and read this letter from man with a question. I wanted to ask if you have any suggested resources for an issue I've been facing for over 20 years. As a teenage male, I had a normal, powerful, I had normal, powerful sexual desires. I was particularly attracted to women with C to D sized breasts and had a number of girls offer for me to be somewhat intimate with them, but was able to mostly avoid any, quote, sins. I kept telling myself that I had to wait for any of those desires to be fulfilled for when I got married. I was an Orthodox Mormon, so I served an agonizing mission so that I could find a girl who would only marry a returned missionary. When I got back from my mission, I used the same, quote, I'll be sexually fulfilled once I get married, quote, mantra, close quote, mantra, to keep myself pure. I found a girl at BYU who was the girl of my dreams and we got engaged. Then, when praying about it, felt that I shouldn't marry her. I was devastated but broke off the engagement. A year later, I met a nice girl who met all of the church prescribed requirements, but I wasn't really attracted to her. But I kept telling myself that oft-repeated mantra of, quote, any worthy man and woman can, woman can make a marriage work, close quote. I wrote to my dad, explaining my hesitation, and he told me she was a worthy return missionary and I should marry her. I then reluctantly prayed about marrying her and got what I felt to be a, quote, yes, marry her, close quote answer, even though I didn't really want to. At the altar in the temple, I was still hesitant and almost walked out, but thought I couldn't do that to her as it wasn't fair to her. Even though I wasn't really physically attracted to her, I felt like she was the one that I was supposed to marry. On our wedding night, I found out that she had only double A sized breasts, though I have grown to sincerely appreciate slash love her. I still feel disappointed every time we have sex. I've tried so hard to suppress that feeling, and many years ago, I unconsciously sighed when I saw her breasts, and she called me on it. I've never let anything confirm that suspicion of hers again. We've differed significantly on finances, household management, and child discipline, 
but we've been through a lot together and we still stay together, though our kids often ask us to stop arguing and tell us they're afraid we're going to get a divorce. I feel a mix of disappointment and frustration. I feel horribly guilty and full of shame for feeling disappointed about something she has no control over. And yet, I still feel some level of disappointment every time we have sex, no matter how hard I've tried to feel otherwise. And with my faith transition out of the church and her desperately clinging to the church, things have started to get even more strained between us. And then he asks me, can you suggest any resources I could read to help me know how to best navigate this issue. Thanks in advance for your reply. And then my name for him is a man with a question. So this actually feels like a lot of questions kind of all wrapped up into one. And I am fascinated by the letter because I think on some level, we all have things inside of us that are scary to share. And I imagine this would be really a scary letter to write and to own up to these feelings so honestly. So, man with a question, I just want to say thank you for being willing to share, yeah, these questions so honestly. And so, really, for the letter writer, his main question was whether I had any resources that I could suggest. And I'm going to wait until the end to give any resources, partly because there's not, there's not, I mean, there were like a bunch of resources that kind of popped up in my peripheral vision as I was reading this, like different ideas but there was nothing that stood out as like the resource. So I'm going to give some thoughts and ideas and see if as I'm sharing, one of these resources comes up, a stronger possibility of something that might be helpful. Maybe this episode itself will help to clarify some things for you and for anybody listening. So for those who were listening, if, if anyone was triggered by this letter, then just notice that. And if possible, stay present. Stay present through the episode, even if the letter itself was a trigger. So for women who body issue is a big thing. So if me reading this letter brought up your fears or insecurities around body image stuff, what I would say is, again, just stay present. Take a few breaths. And, you know, maybe you don't feel ready to listen to the rest of the episode now. Maybe come back to it at a different point and see if it can start to give you some different perspective as to how to work with your own triggers and insecurities in regards to the letter. And for anyone who's listening who can really relate, who's felt like, oh, I know what it's like to want a certain something in a relationship and to feel guilty or shameful for even wanting that thing, like something's wrong with it or bad with it. For those that can relate to it from that place, You just get to watch your experience of relating to it from there. So as I'm going through this episode, I realize that people might be listening to it from really different angles. So wherever you are in your own experience, just practice being with that. I'm going to just start with the real basic thing that came up in this letter for me. And I actually did share this letter with my own boyfriend, with my own partner. His words were, I don't think it's about the breasts. I thought, okay, that's helpful to hear because as a woman, I'm reading this and I can say, okay, I don't really think it's about the breasts. I think that there's an aspect and we're going to talk about that, but I don't think that's the real issue here. And so to hear that from a man was helpful for me as I was getting ready to share thoughts on this letter because I think his, his words were true. I don't think ultimately this letter is not ultimately about the breasts. They're kind of like a surface layer and we're going to go through that surface layer first and then we'll talk about some of the deeper layers. 
So let's just talk about the AA sized breasts first and the longing or the attraction to bigger breasts. So a couple of things that pop up. For a lot of men, there is attraction to bigger breasts. Not for all men. For some men, it's not as much of a thing. For some men, other things are things. But I would say evolutionarily that there is a sort of sexual attraction for a lot of men to larger breasts. So that's just a reality for a lot of men. Again, not, not all men. So, you know, there's certain things about men and women that on an evolutionary scale, we see certain things as more attractive and they may even stimulate sexual feelings. Then there's also the way our culture portrays certain things as being things that will bring more sexual gratification, that will bring more life gratification even, right? And maybe, maybe not. I think what's really tough about this letter for you, Amanda, with the question, is you never had the chance to explore it. And so it, it also reminds me a little bit of Olympic athletes. Often for Olympic athletes, after they get the medal, it's not uncommon to wake up the next morning or the next week with kind of a, a blahness, a flatness, a feeling of, well, now what? Like I got that thing that I thought was going to change my life. I got that thing that I thought was going to make it for me. And yet I wake up a week later and ultimately I don't really feel all that different. And so now what? So here's where I think the exploration really does matter. And then here's where I think maybe it's less important. I think one of the benefits to us having no shame around our desires, no shame, is that we then have the chance to go out and explore our desires and find out which ones really matter and which ones don't. Because as long as we haven't had the chance to even gotten to explore it, we can keep this fantasy going in our mind that this thing matters above and beyond dot, dot, dot. When we have the chance to explore something, we can then ask ourselves, was the, were the costs and benefits of that experience worth it to me? Then decide how to move forward from there. And again, this happens for all of us in our lives. We go through this idea of costs and benefits opportunity costs, what are we gaining, what are we losing, every experience will have certain things in it and not have other things in it. And, you know, there's no experience that's everything in and of itself. And at the same time, I'm not a fan of giving up things that are really important to us. I really like to find a way to integrate things that are important to us. But the problem with not, ha- not being able to explore is we never really know for sure if that really, really is important to us. So we don't have the chance to go out. For you, letter writer, man with a question, you didn't have the chance to go out and date women with C and D-sized breasts and have sexual experiences with them and really start to get a feel for, wow, how much, how much does this matter? 100%, 90%, 50%, 20%? How much does a C or D size breast matter? And again, my sense is you would even come up with a different answer depending on the experiences you had around it. Because it may be that you date a woman with with large breasts and just have a really crappy dating experience and come out of it feeling like, you know what, maybe I don't need that so much. And you would tie that to that story, right? You tie that perspective to that story. Or you could have met a woman with smaller breasts and had sexual experiences with her and felt like just so incredibly connected to her. And all of a sudden, the breast size doesn't matter so much. I've been fascinated in my life. And I've 
I've had the experience of dating more people than a lot of young Mormon people have had because I'm in my mid-30s and haven't been married yet. And so one of my experiences is that I've been surprised that certain things that I thought I couldn't like or couldn't be attracted to in a certain context, it's like this opening to it. And, you know, it's not like you can talk yourself into that. And I don't think that you should try to pretend or suppress or force. It's just that's part of the disadvantage of not having the exploration. And so it's a tricky situation because you can't really go back in time to have experiences and say, okay, rather than suppressing any of my desires, I'm going to open up to them and then I'm just going to see what happens. I may come out the other side of these experiences and not even want the same things. That happens to a lot of young people, right? So what I really valued 10 and 15 years ago really is different than what I value today. And that's because I've changed. And so what I value has changed. And I do think that there is a sort of developmental stage that really happens, you know, at the end of the teenage years through the 20s. That's really about exploration. And it's really about finding oneself. And so when you don't get that experience, it's tough because you always maintain this fantasy that, you know, maybe that's the problem is the breasts. My sense as I read the letter is the really the difficulty is you never got the chance to see whether or not the breasts were the problem. So now you're in this experience and it's playing out in your mind as though that's the problem when I'm not sure that it really deeply is because you could end up down the road deeply in love with a woman with double A size breasts and suddenly they look amazing to you. It's it ba is so, based so much on context and so much on perspective. So that's the first thought that's popping up there. But again, we don't get a chance to figure that out unless we honor our desires for what they are. So for anyone listening, you know, one of my, my big things is the first thing we have to do is we have to honor ourselves. We have to honor our perspective and what we currently think in the present moment because only from there can we experience change and growth and evolution into more expansive, complete perspectives. And so... Since you're already married and you've been married for a long time, it sounds like at least 20 years. Oh, man. What I would say in terms of resources with this one, with this first surface layer, would be to get some support and some help. So I don't know if you've ever done any therapy or or been able to work with anyone. Um, but what I would say is see if you can get out and actually find someone to talk to about this. Someone who can help you hold this desire with compassion without any shame being attached to it so that you can start to process it and really figure out what is it I need moving forward. Do I need to end this relationship and go out and explore? Would the benefit of that outweigh the cost? Or is this a, an experience where I need to actually do some grieving around the fact that I didn't have that exploration in my 20s? And now at a different stage of my life, I need to decide whether or not that is really what matters. And if it is, then I need to move towards some opening where I can have exploration space. And if not, how do I create more and more of what I want in my life today so that my life right now feels really, really valuable to me, even though there are certain things that I missed out on in my mind, right? Because in a way, you didn't really miss out on the exploration in reality, in the sense that it wasn't ever available to you. 
it wasn't available to you based on your mindset. It wasn't available to you based on your relationship with your father and his suggestion. And so, you know, in a sense, it's it's helpful when exploration is available in our late 20s, late teens and, and throughout our 20s, because that's really a stage of, of life where exploration can be really helpful. Um, but again, my sense is it wasn't really available to you at that point because of the mindset that you were in, your family was in, your religion, the religion you belong to is in. So you did your best and now you're here. You're here. You're here 20 years later and this desire hasn't ever gone away. And my sense is it may need some more space to be spoken about. And at some point that may even be helpful for you to be able to be really honest with your wife and maybe to do that with some support have a therapist or relational coach, someone who can sit with the two of you while you get present in front of her. Basically where you unveil yourself in front of her. And again, this doesn't mean that you're not choosing her. It just means, am I willing to start to share who I really am? And then she can maybe do some of her own grieving and mourning if she needs to do that. And then the two of you can be there to support each other if you decide to maintain this relationship if it ends up being the relationship the two of you want long-term. So, you know, that's a, it's a big one. I would say with that one, I would say get some help. It's been suppressed so long. It's been hidden so long. It doesn't need to be hidden. It needs to come out. It needs to be seen for what it really is. It doesn't need to threaten the relationship. Now, the relationship may not be the relationship that you want to end up in long-term, but my sense is that this, this thing doesn't need to threaten the relationship. And, Getting it out of the way is going to help you move into deeper layers and do the deeper work so that you can figure out whether this relationship is is what you want. Yeah, what you want. And uh, she may do some of her own exploration around what she wants. It's It's very scary. This is very, very, very vulnerable stuff. So I really honor you again for writing this letter because sometimes we just want to stay hidden thinking we can survive it and at least get through life that way. But it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away until we face it and clean it out and then see see what the truth is about you and her and the potential that really does exist in your relationship together. Okay, the other thing I wanted to talk about in this letter, and this is kind of a deeper thing, but it feels helpful to mention, and that is around the feelings that you got. So, for example, you talked about that you were at BYU, you met the girl of your dreams, and you got engaged. Then when you were praying about it, you felt that you shouldn't marry her. You were devastated, and you broke off the engagement. And then you talk about a year later, you met a nice girl who met all the church-prescribed requirements, and I'm guessing this is your wife now. Well, yes, it is. this is your wife you're talking about. So a year later, you met another girl. She was nice. She met all the church-prescribed requirements. You weren't really attracted to her, and you ended up talking to your dad, and you ended up praying, and you ended up getting this feeling of what felt like to be a yes, marry her answer. So I just want to talk a little bit about this idea of our feelings, our spiritual promptings, because I think a lot about that and how this fits into this whole thing. Because one of the things I found is whether we're religious or not, being able to trust ourselves is one of the most valuable experiences we can ever get in our life. And it's a part of my own journey and my own path. And it's part of what I really, really feel is valuable for me to share and teach others how to build trust with ourselves. 
Because one of the things that's hard to build trust with is what happens when we have a feeling about something and we might attach it to a religion or a God or something like that. What happens when we have a feeling about something and then it doesn't turn out the way we wanted it to? And the reason why I'm saying this is because what I found is with clients I've had who are not religious, even atheists, even they go through these kinds of experiences. They don't call it a religious feeling. They'll just, they'll call it something different, but it's the same kind of a thing where we want a certain something in our life, but we have a feeling about something else or we have a draw to something else or we end up taking a different path even though what we really wanted was this other thing, or at least that's what we thought we really wanted. So it can feel very confusing, and the disadvantage of these experiences, if we don't have anyone to help us work through them, is we feel like we're untrustworthy, or we say the church is untrustworthy, or God that I believe is, is untrustworthy. But again, I my perspective is whoever God was to you, whatever the, the LDS church was to you, it was just a projection of your own stuff. And so even after leaving religion, learning how to work this, this sometimes discrepancy out is so important. And the sometimes discrepancy is, again, between what we sometimes do and feel and want. And so I'm just going to give a brief description of something in therapy that we sometimes call psychological reversals. And I've also heard it called a few other things, a neurological reversal I actually can't remember the other term I've heard for it. If I remember, I'll let you know. But the idea of the psychological reversal is that we say we want one thing, but then we continually find ourselves either doing another thing or choosing another thing or ending up with another thing for whatever reason, because our belief system is such, because we feel a craving for it. So someone may say, well, I want to be really healthy, but then they keep eating donuts. Or someone may say, well, I want to be really happy and I want to marry the woman of my dreams and then there's life experiences and belief systems everything kind of convolutes into a place where you end up having these feelings about not marrying the girl of your dreams and marrying someone else so the idea with the psychological reversal is that part of us wants something and part of us wants something else So I'm going to not compare you and your choice of whom to marry to this analogy that I was just using around eating and wanting to lose weight and then eating donuts because even though there's some overlap in how this works in the brain, you know, we're working with us as a human, with us as a person, and we're also working with other people here, you know, the woman woman that you chose to break off the engagement with and then the woman you chose to marry. And I really want to honor that all three of you are people and that all three of you, in my own personal perspective, at that time, you were all doing your best. You're all still doing your best to the best of your ability. And so, but what we want to look at here is why was there a discrepancy in the feelings that I had and the thing that I thought I wanted? So when there's a psychological reversal present... I actually do want to make a disclaimer here. I'm not positive that that's what was going on with your feelings, but my sense is that there was some, there was some, yeah, there, things weren't fully aligned. And it doesn't mean that the wife that you are with now wouldn't be the one you ended up with if you were to align it. That's the thing you don't know. So I think for you, getting some support and some help and having someone help you to integrate these different parts of yourself that showed up with different answers might be helpful. 
and it, again, it's vulnerable because we never know, you know, what's going to happen out the other side of the work. Am I going to still choose the partner I'm with or not? And it is a little scary because we never know for sure. But what I find is if we don't integrate ourselves, if we don't, if we don't harmonize these two parts that wanted something different, then it's a constant struggle and it just gets harder and harder over time. And sometimes life itself will help us harmonize these two parts. But for you, you've been with it for 20 years and it's still just not all settled. So getting support, especially working through, again, that shameful desire, the, the desire that you had shamed for so many years and stuff down, that would be my suggestion of, of what would be helpful to put on the agenda first for you in terms of your work with some kind of professional or coach to first do that. And then secondly, yeah, to look at psychological reversals. A reversal can happen anytime we believe we don't deserve what we really want, anytime we don't believe it's safe to get what we really want, anytime we don't believe it's safe for others, anytime we actually don't want what we say we want. That can happen. The idea with psychological reversals is that we're working with our subconscious and our conscious minds, and often we just we don't know what's in our subconscious. I mean, that's why we call it subconscious. It's not in our awareness. So we have desires. We have things that we want to do, things we want to experience, things we want to understand, things we want to complete and work through that are not in our conscious awareness. And so it can be really confusing when we say we want one thing, but then we get a feeling or a draw or, or life just takes us in a different direction. And so one of the things that I find really helpful is to start to trust that even when we're split, so I sometimes call it a split, and I'll sometimes even say that, I'll feel it in my own life, I'm split. I'm saying I want this and yet I'm continually doing this. Or I'm saying that this is what I want, but this is what's feeling good, right? Or this is what's not feeling good, even though this is what I'm saying I want or don't want. So when we have that pull going on inside, when we have an inner conflict, anytime our head and our heart feel unaligned or anytime our feelings feel different from what we think we want. That's just good information that we don't have all the information. If we were to fully align, what would we choose? Who knows? The only way to find that out is to get fully aligned, is to find resources and people and paths that can help us get aligned. And if there's anything that your path has done, it's moved you to a place where you're seeing the value of getting aligned because, you know, 20 years go by and you weren't aligned then, you're still not fully aligned. Your head and your heart, your your sexual attraction and your love for your wife, they're not aligned yet. And could they align? Possibly. The only way to know is is to go in and start to start to face it, start to look at it. Often with psychological reversals, there are some deeper subconscious fears happening around one or both of the sides and so again to harmonize the two desires within to harmonize the two experiences we have to be able to honor both sides they both need a voice okay so there's the part of me that that man was just really attracted to that is really attracted to large breasts that Felt like this woman that I'd met at BYU was the woman of my dreams. I mean, there's there's that part of me. And then there's the part of me that wanted to be a good boy, that wanted to do the right thing, that wanted to marry the right woman, that wanted to please my family. 
please my God. And what I would say is both of those parts of you are real. And you don't want to dishonor either part. And the psychological reversals are coming in because one or both of those looks threatening to you on some level. And until you can really, really harmonize both of those parts of you, it's going to be tricky to feel totally at peace with yourself in any relationship, really. And so, because, you know, the struggle was happening then, it's still happening now. I think that's a deeper psyche issue and maybe modeled to you from parents, um, maybe goes back further than that. And there's been some kind of modeling around a split there. So that would be really helpful to work with someone on that. And usually if there's a split, some of the deeper feelings slash fears underneath are that it's not safe to be who we really are and to want what we really want, that we don't deserve it, that it's not safe for others if we really are who we are. And again, this includes both of these parts of you, not just the part of you that likes big breasts and that loved the woman at BYU. This also includes the part of you that wanted to be good, that wanted attention, that wanted, I don't know if attention is the right word, but that wanted to do the right thing. You know, I think this part of you is as important. You just need to figure out how to harmonize these two aspects. And so it could, the, the block may be around safety. It may be around deserving. It may be around possibility. It may not, you, your psyche may not yet believe it's possible to harmonize these two parts. It may be that some part of you doesn't want to harmonize the two parts, and that could be for different reasons. You may feel that it's disloyal to harmonize the two parts of you. Sometimes we have a hard time harmonizing two parts because we see other people in our realm who are divided, who are also split. And so we feel a sense of guilt, like it's not okay for me to want to be able to bring both of these parts into one experience because we just see the split all over, all around us. What's really cool, once we start to do the work, then usually our awareness opens up where we start to see people who can model a space where both of these parts of them are present, where no part is discouraged, that no part of us is betrayed or rejected. Every part is allowed. It's, it's bringing all parts of us into the boardroom. You know, sometimes I do that with clients. Bring, let's bring all these parts into the boardroom, and we're going to sit here and we're going to hash it out. They're all going to get their voice heard. And we're not leaving the boardroom until we find a solution that actually feels good for everyone. It may not be what they, what you know, what part of us would have chosen on its own. But when we harmonize all parts of us, then what? Because ultimately, they're all in the service of the same individual. So the part of you that wanted to be a good boy is in the service of the same same entity of the part of you that feels sexually attracted to women with large breasts. You know, both those aspects of you are ultimately the service of the same you. And so they're currently split and they look like they're in conflict, but they don't need to be. So that would be my suggestion with that. I guess that's it when you ask about resources. It really would be for you to go get some help. You don't need to be with this for another year or two years or five years. I mean, you'll start to get into the work and the work has its process and it takes time. I would say for you, you've been with it long enough. You've been with the conflict long enough that you don't need to keep going through it. And even for anyone listening, even if you've only been through an inner conflict for a year or six months, you know, if, if, it's, if it's not getting better, find someone who can help you harmonize the different parts. Anytime there's an inner conflict, we know that there are some psychological reversals. We know that there's some split happening. And we know that there are some blocks to harmonizing the different parts of us. 
usually based on the modeling we experienced growing up in our cultures, in our home, in our families, religion, whatever. So, um, but that's just modeling. You can definitely reverse that and rewire the brain with a new, a new model. And um, that can be done at any age, which is really, really awesome. I hope that that was helpful. Keep me posted. If you end up finding some good support and you're able to start harmonizing those parts of you more, keep me posted. I would love to hear how it goes. I'd love to hear how it goes when you start to open up to your wife and, and start to do some of this work in her presence. Because ultimately for deep intimacy in a long-term monogamous partnership, it really does, does take being able to do this process in the presence of our partner. And that often does take support and help. Sending lots of care to you and your wife and all of your family. Sending lots of care to all of you listeners out there. For anyone who feels inner conflict, who feels these splits, they can get better. I promise you I've done it over and over and over with myself and clients. Things can harmonize. We just may not be able to do it on our own. And that's no big deal. I still get support. I've been doing therapy for 10 years. And I still have some people in my life who help me to harmonize when I'm stuck and I can't see outside of my own experience. It's just how it is. All right, send you lots of care, and I'll talk to you soon.